listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everybody. So you all know that I kind of grew up as an Appalachian Pentecostal. And one of the things that we're known for is our um, expressions of emotion. So uh, although some people might have sometimes criticized that, it wasn't something that we criticized. It's something that we kind of celebrated. It's, we, we enjoyed church. I mean, church was fun. We would, we would pray and we would worship and we would sing and we would laugh um, and we do a lot of other things. But it was a very kind of emotionally charged expression of the faith. And so I grew up in that. It's kind of all I knew. But then as I got older, I would hear some people kind of not just outside the tradition, but sometimes even in within the tradition, kind of criticize it as just being kind of vain emotionalism, like just too, too much excitement, like calm down and think a little bit, you know? And so... Um, I went to a Presbyterian college uh, to do my undergrad, and there wasn't a lot of emotionalism uh, at, at King College uh, when I was there. Uh, very devout uh, Christians, they loved the Lord, um, and they knew the Lord, and they had a lot of thoughts about the Lord, a lot of words that they used about the Lord. There's a, a famous, or Famous might be too strong a word. He's famous in academic circles. Um, he's a historiographer of Pentecostalism. His name is Walter Hollenweger. He grew up Presbyterian, but he spent all of his adult life studying Pentecostal and charismatic Christianity. And in the, like the preface or like the dedication page uh, to his book, The Pentecostals, he said, I would like to thank um, the Presbyterians uh, for, or excuse me, I'd like to thank the Pentecostals for teaching me to love the Bible, and I'd like to uh, thank the Presbyterians for teaching me to understand the Bible. <laughs> but that, that's not really my experience, though. Um, I, I kind of grew up, not just in church, but then in seminary, around Pentecostals, and, and I felt like I did understand the Bible. That, it's, that understanding is not just a cognitive uh, activity, it's also an emotional activity. Like, we've, we've all been around uh, friends or family or, or colleagues who, who their emotional quotient is kind of low. They're not, like, picking up on the cues. Um, they're, they're not kind of all together. They're kind of with us. And they're not uh, kind of making the connections that need to be made. I think that what's happened is we have somewhat of a false dichotomy. That it is we're either going to be emotional or we're going to be very thoughtful and have all the right words about Jesus, you know, all the right words about God. And I, I don't think um, either one of those extremes is particularly helpful. Um, I'm going to introduce or reintroduce you to a friend of mine uh, later in this service, but one of the things that I've heard him say countless times is that um, all extremes are dysfunctional, right? That balance and timing are key. And so... When we come to matters of the faith, it's not simply something we think about. It's not a matter of having just the right thought about God 
or just the right doctrine. And if we can get it just right, then we'll be okay. Nor is it a matter of having just the right emotion. Because both of those uh, ways of knowing, like emotional ways of knowing and cognitive ways, you know, thoughtful ways of knowing, have both their strengths and weaknesses. So is it possible to let your emotions kind of run away with you? Well, yes, we've all experienced that. We've made emotional decisions that were kind of overly charged and we had to back up and we had to apologize and say, I'm sorry I said it like that, or I'm sorry I said it at all. <laughs> yes? <laughs> all of a sudden I felt all alone. <laughs> right, and so, so what the spiritual teachers and the psychologists would both tell us is that we're not reducible to our emotions. So if you say something like, I'm angry, that's kind of shorthand for saying I'm experiencing anger because I'm not angry. I'm Robbie. <laughs> right? You should know me by now. Now, I might experience anger, but that doesn't define the essence of who I am. I'm just having that experience of it. And the same thing might go for, for happiness or sadness or, or disgust or anger or any of those other characters in Inside Out that are inside the little girl's head, right? All of those kind of uh, human emotions. So, so on the one hand, we don't want to be uh, kind of just driven by those things. But on the other hand, we are emotional creatures, right? That we, we do feel love. And, and our feelings, we've, we've had these for a long time, the human race, that is, not just us individually. In fact, we've had them so long that they're part of our kind of primal brain activity. Um, there's a, a new book that came out last year from a research group at MIT called The Distracted Mind. And it compared decisions that we make based on our primal activity, like our, our base brain, versus decisions we make based on our kind of reason and rationalism. And surprisingly, we often do better with our, with our base brain than we do kind of our more advanced frontal lobe. Kind of in the big, long history of things, we haven't been making those rational decisions as long as we've been making some of those emotional ones. So that if you, you, know, you, you step out of the car, you're in a dark alley, your skin kind of crawls, your, your body's picking up on things. It, it's knowing things that maybe your brain can't process. And I think the same thing happens when we kind of encounter God. That it's not just a matter of having the right thoughts about God or the right words about God. That, that sometimes our feelings can lead us, our emotions can lead us in ways that are, are more accurate or more helpful than our thoughts. So we don't want to get carried away with our emotions, but we, won't, we don't want to dismiss them. And then the same way with thoughts. So on the other hand, it's not as though I don't think we should think about God. <laughs> or should talk about God, or have right doctrines about God. In fact, I've dedicated my whole life to doing that, right? Uh, my, my day job is teaching uh, the Bible at a Christian college. So certainly, I'm committed to thoughtful reflection on God. But we often get it wrong. And unless we have some really small view of God... We can't imagine that we're going to describe God in some kind of completeness or fullness. 
Like, if we think we can systematize God and God's relationship with humanity and creation kind of perfectly, then we're, we're, we're a little overambitious, right? I mean, who's this God we think we're speaking of that we can just describe every aspect of God? Um, Augustine used to say to his congregation, uh, don't get frustrated if you don't understand what we're talking about because if you understood it, it would not be God. I, I love that. I love that quote. In fact, I, I say it a lot. So there's an interesting kind of calculus in all of this, where on the one hand, there's both kind of um, good and potential bad in both emotions and good and potential bad in kind of thoughts and words and reflections. And, and that calculus of kind of blessing and cursing is kind of found throughout the scriptures. And in the, the text uh, for today, um, there's a passage from Jeremiah 17. There's the psalm that we read earlier, Psalm 1, and it did this too. It kind of opens up kind of gently, but saying, you know, the person who relies on human wisdom is kind of shaky. They're kind of living in the desert. They're barely making it by. But the person who lives on the wisdom of God is like a tree planted by the, by the river. And then there's this passage in Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah 17. Uh, we'll put it on the screen. It says this. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength. A little stronger than the, the psalm language. Cursed are those whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Ooh. Blessed, on the other hand, are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It, sh uh, it shall not fear when the heat comes, and it leaves, and its leaves, excuse me, shall stay green. In the year of the drought, it is not anxious. And it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. The heart is devious, perverse above all else. And who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart. Test the mind and search the heart. That's exactly what I'm talking about when I say that it's not a matter of kind of either or. And both have kind of uh, the heart and the mind. Both have potential for kind of greatness and deviousness. You know, they can lead us astray. So, so the criticism of, of the tradition of my childhood, that it was just emotional, imagines that if we can just keep our emotions in check, all of our thoughts will be right, and if all of our thoughts are right, then we will live right. Like education is the answer to the moral bankruptcy of society. Except that's just not true. We, we can teach people what's right, but that doesn't mean they do what's right. Happens to me myself. I mean, it happens, you know, Paul seems to speak of this. 
What I know to do, I don't do. What I know not to do, I do. We find ourselves, it's not just a matter of a lack of knowledge that kind of um, hinders us in our development, in our life, and being who we want to be, being who God has made us to be. It's, it's also a lack of, of emotional commitment. And so Jesus will do this uh, in the gospel as well. Um, Matthew uh, has it, it's very literary in Matthew, and so it takes, it takes a really broad scope to pick this up. But Matthew has five collections of teachings of Jesus. The first collection is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it opens with the Beatitudes, you know, bless, 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 bless. And then the last collection of teachings is in chapter 24 and 25, and it's there that he has his warnings or his cursings, like whoa, 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 right? Cursed is you. But in Luke, Luke places the blessings and the cursings side by side. It's more of a, you know, a beginner's approach to seeing how this works. So Jesus will go down this list of folks who are blessed, and then he'll go down this list of folks who are cursed, except it's not at all the ones who we thought would be blessed or the ones who we thought would be cursed, right? So the ones who are blessed are like the poor and the mournful and the hungry. And I'm like, Jesus, I don't think that's what blessed means. And then the ones who are cursed are the ones who uh, seem to have it together, that things are going well for them. And Luke's gospel, the last warning, the last woe, is woe to you if everyone speaks well of you. Because that's how they spoke of the false prophets. Woe, warning, cursing. If every, it's a curse if everybody speaks well of you. Well, I, I, I wanted everybody to speak well of me. What's that about? I actually quote that particular passage to my dean uh, each year when we go over our student course evaluations. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, there's some of them don't like me, but if they all like me, I'd be a false prophet. <laughs> so, that's, but that's the way it works, right? Whether the relationship is with your pastor on Sunday morning here in sermons, whether it's with your friends or your spouse, it's not as though everything that gets said is just right. It's not as though every feeling is just right. But it's, it's somewhere kind of in between all these. So here's the kicker. If our emotions can sometimes be wrong, and if our thoughts and even our doctrines could sometimes be wrong, then, then how do we know? How do we live? I think what happens is there's, there's something that lies beneath all those things, that lies beneath our emotions and lies beneath our words about God. And way down deep, there's just God. And there's our presence with God. And it doesn't need emotion, no drama, no hype. It, and it doesn't need a lot of words. Think about it like this. When you first meet someone, silence can be quite awkward. Yeah? Like, you're, you, you know, your name, their name, their likes, where they're from, where you're from. You know, you just, you know, 
kind of working things out. But then if, if the conversation doesn't pick up and you've done all the small talk you can, so you, you've talked about the weather, maybe you talked about the recent sporting event or the, the new movie that's out, and you're just kind of there. <laughs> you're like, get me out of here, right? So silence can be awkward, so we need words. And if we're going to move past that initial acquaintance, we, we need a lot of words. So as we move from acquaintance towards like friendship, we spend a lot of time with these folks. That's how we get to know them. We share meals together. We learn about their families. We learn about their life story and their histories. And we tell stuff about us and they tell stuff about them. And it's words, 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 words. But words kind of mixed with story and emotions. But once we've gotten to know them well, the people who you are closest with in your life, those who you have kind of a deep union with, you, you don't need all those words anymore. I mean, I mean, you do talk to them, but they're unnecessary. You can just be with them. Just to be present with them is all you need. Certainly, this is the case uh, for romance. So if you're part of this uh, connect uh, group, this young adult group, I'm not sure if you're all kind of married or not married or, or moving around, but I'm going to give you a little advice. If you're with a significant other and you've found your way to the beach at Clearwater or St. Pete and the sun's going down, uh, shut up. <laughs> Don't offer a lot of words. What are you going to say that's going to make that sunset better? Let the sun go down. It's beautiful. God is painting the sky for you. <laughs> right? Just reach over and hold their hand or something. You don't need words. Yeah? That's, that's just that's the deepest part. You're, you're, you know, you're getting there. You're on your way. And I think the same is with God. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being emotional about our experience with God. In fact, I think it's healthy. But if you think you have to feel the presence of God all the time, then you're, you're a bit like a, like a child who's constantly clamoring. And I certainly don't think there's anything wrong with having well-developed, thoughtful reflections about God. But if you think your thoughts about God are what make you right with God, then, then you've just switched the old merit-based system of doing something for God, some kind of works righteousness, for a thought-based system of works righteousness. Think about that one. Right? So we, we dismissed this kind of works righteousness back in the day because, you know, it's not about what you do for God. It's what God has done for you. But yet we've just sw switched I mean, our lives, a lot of our lives are, are in this information age. The work we do is in our minds. And our relationship with God can't be dependent upon that. That's not enough. And so we need to practice this presence. And, and here's the second big kicker. Here's the, here's the amazing thing. It's not that God is ever not present with us because God is always present. God is everywhere. There's nowhere we can go where God is not. 
It's not like if we go on vacation, God's like, I'll see you when you get back. It's not like when you go to work or if you go out to dinner or if you go home or if you go to sleep. God's still there, even in your, even in your unconsciousness. So it's not that God's not present to us. It's that we struggle to be present with God. We struggle to be present with God in the same ways that we sometimes struggle to be present with ourselves. Right? We, we, we struggle with silence. You know, we always have to be doing something. We're on our phones. Uh, the radio's on. We're listening to a podcast. Or we're moving. Right? We, we wear busyness like a badge of honor. How you doing, Robbie? Man, I'm busy. You should see my calendar got this to do at the church, and I got this to do at home, and I got this to do at the school, and I'm traveling here. <sighs> I've done it. No, no. We're just distracted. We have a hard time, again, being present with ourselves. We have a hard time being present with others. If you ever find yourself with someone, and they're talking to you, and you're thinking about something else, or they're talking to you, and instead of listening to them, you're thinking about what you might say in response. Like sometimes we do that with our spouses. That's not healthy. We just need to sit and rest and be. And be aware that God is present. And one of the ways that we can grow in our faith and grow spiritually is to put into our lives practices of presence. Do things that help us be present to God. Because I think that's where the struggle is. Um, there's a book that was written, I, I want to say, I should have looked it up, I want to say it was in the 18th century, but it might have been the 19th century, by a guy named Jean-Pierre de Cassade. That's a great name. And Kassad's book is called The Sacrament of the Present Moment. Right? Our egos are driving us to either think about the past and what's going on. And like, oh no, this didn't go right and this didn't go right. And I wish for that and I hope for the other. And this was out of my control. Or we're always kind of hoping for a new future. Only if I could get that job, if I could um, buy that, you know, purchase that item, if I could have that experience or that relationship. And so we're either dwelling in the past or we're dreaming about the future so much that it's difficult for us just to be present. So the church has historically had practices uh, ways of reading scripture that are very slow and repetitive. Um, meditation and prayer. We had this in my tradition too growing up. We called it tarrying, right? Holding on to the horns of the altar. We would come and pray, and it wasn't like a quick pray and we were done. We would come and, and stay <laughs> and pray and pray. And it wasn't even something that would just be over on any given Sunday. Uh, we'd be back the next Sunday praying about the same thing. And we just kind of do it again and again and again. And it's in that practice that we find ourselves shaped. So that if we include these 
calming, stilling practices in our lives, when those emotions do come, whether it's fear or anxiety or anger or happiness or joy, we, we won't allow them to kind of utterly form us. It can kind of just come and we can kind of see it and it can go and we don't have to hold on to it because something else is coming. We're going to close our service today with one of these ancient practices. It's called Lexio Divina in Latin, which just means uh, sacred reading. I'm going to invite uh, my friend and mentor. He's spoken to us before, and he's currently leading our Tuesday night uh, lab section during this season of Epiphany, uh, Dr. Ricky Cotton. And he's going to uh, guide us through a reading of a portion of Luke 6, uh, the Beatitudes, according to the Gospel of Luke. Let's welcome Dr. Cotton. So we do want to slow down and be present and open the very center of our being to God's Word and God's Spirit. So we can take just a few minutes to do this Lexio Divina. It's a meditative practice. It's an opening practice. It's a surrender practice to this portion of Luke, today's Gospel, uh, the blessings and the woes. And Robbie and I decided we wouldn't throw the woes on you this morning for deep meditation. We're only going to give you the blessings. Isn't that good? But we do want you to spend some time with the woes as well. They're instructive. And even the way that Luke puts the blessings has kind of got an edge to it. You'll see that. So this is not a new practice here at Oasis. I know it's, uh, some of you have practiced regularly, and it's been done off and on. So uh, you have the handout. If you don't, Robbie, we can probably get them some more of the handouts. If not, it's going to say uh, Luke 6, 20 to 23 on one side. And then on the back, it will have praying the scriptures, Lexio Divina. And there'll be four moments. We don't call them steps. We call them moments. And uh, essentially, uh, commit it to the Lord, these, this little ceremony, if you will, this little liturgy of, of uh, being with the Scripture and being with the Spirit. And uh, we'll read the Scripture, have a minute of silence, and then I'm just going to invite four or five people to come to voice, three, two or three. It's just good if you just say the one word or the two or three words or the one sentence that maybe has stood out to you. It just adds a kind of dynamic. Uh, to the sense of community, a community, communal celebration of this being slowed down and present and deeply open. So that'll be the first reading. And then after we, and I'll work us through this. I'll facilitate us through this. Uh, and it's on the back of this handout. So the second reading, we're really looking for sort of the commentary or the, the little message that we feel from God. So read the scripture, a minute of silence, and, and then... Um, just to add to this sense of community and investigation of this together, we'll just ask the two or three or four or so just to kind of speak out in one sentence, really, what God has said to you or what has struck you, what has sort of come out of this time. The third reading. The third reading is our prayer of response, how our heart responds. What we're seeking to do is take the mind and go to the heart and open all of that, everything that we are to this. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox call it, take the mind, go to the heart, and then do your thinking there based in the heart. So read the scripture the third time, a minute of silence, 
And then just listening, and not everyone's going to be coming to voice, obviously, but everyone should be listening for the response of your heart to this scripture as, you, as you're not analyzing it primarily and you're not uh, doing somebody's Bible commentary, uh, even your own on it, but you're really just trying to be with it in this, in this deeply spiritual, deeply meditative way. So the prayer of your heart in response, Lord, I want, I want to be blessed the way you want me blessed. See, that would be a way to respond at this. Or I really want to be one of those that, that is attentive to the praise of your mouth and not the praise or curses of the mouths of those people of my time. And then the fourth moment, the fourth reading, we'll read it one time. So you can see it's very meditative. What you do in meditation is you go over something and over something, a very small portion. And you're not primarily being mental, but you're, in, you're, you're engaging in your whole being. And so the fourth reading, then we're just going to uh, do, do a full two minutes of silence, not looking for any kind of word, not looking for a word or phrase from the Scripture, not looking for a prayer of your own heart that you would put into words, but simply communing with the Spirit, simply being present and open to the Spirit. And then after that two minutes of silence, we'll simply say the Lord's Prayer together. What a perfect prayer to respond to God's deep work in the core of our being. And then Robbie will come up, and then he'll be closing out the service after that. Robbie, if I sort of caught what we want to do there, slow down, be present, be aware, develop depth. Well, let me commit this to the Lord. Father, we are so grateful that, that we're among a group of people that love you. And, and together, we want a deeper and fuller and more complete relationship with you. And we thank you that you've been growing us into that and developing us into that over the, over the years of our journey, our spiritual journey. And Lord, we offer these, uh, these few minutes right now this, in, in a communal setting and a Sunday morning setting to, to together as brothers and sisters in the Lord to just be present, to be open, to be surrendered, for you to do a deep work without drama, but in deep genuineness. Have your way. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. All right, so we'll, we'll uh, do the first reading. We're listening for the Word of God, and the commentary on the back of this handout goes this way. As we listen to the Word of God read for the first time, we're invited to be aware of any word or phrase that stands out to us. After a minute of silence, we will be invited to share it with the group. Say only the word or phrase without commentary. From Luke 6, then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. A full minute of silence before you're given opportunity to respond.
Amen. And then out of that silence, if there are two or three that would just speak out the word or phrase that has stood out to you, we could just have that sense of supporting one another and encouraging one another and responding and engaging. So you don't have to raise your hand or anything, just speak it out. The second reading. As we listen to the Word of God for the second time, we are invited to be aware of any reflection or thought that comes to us in response. After a minute of silence, we'll be invited to share it in a brief way, one sentence, with the group. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets." A full minute of silence. Amen. Again, two or three or so, in, in sort of one sentence, what you felt the Lord may be emphasizing to you, or, or just what insight stood out to you. No drama about it, but just in simplicity, and just speak it aloud. Just two, three, four. Okay. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. God knows what is happening now. Yes. Amen. The third reading. As we listen to the Word of God for the third time, we're invited to be aware of any prayer that rises up within us that expresses what we are experiencing in and through this Word. 
After a minute of silence, we'll be invited to express our prayer in a brief way, aloud in the presence of our brothers and sisters or in the silence of your own heart. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. A full minute of silence. So, amen. The prayer of your heart is, what do you want from God or what do you want to do for God? How do you, how do you hope to open your being to God in, in terms of what you're experiencing in and through this word? Now, mainly, for most of us, we're doing this in silence, but it just adds a sense of community. We can hear two, three, four voices so your prayer and maybe one or two sentences, just a couple of sentences, the prayer of your heart in response. Amen. Yes, Lord. Yes, God, yes. So the fourth reading, and when we do this in groups, we do hold this structure. But the fourth reading, we're not going to have, we're not looking for any kind of word. We're looking for just resting in the Spirit, communing with the Spirit who inspired this word, who's, who's working in our hearts, working in the core, the center, the depths of our being. No drama, but in genuineness, simplicity. So we'll have a full two minute of silence after we read the word to just be, to just be present, to just commune with God in simplicity. As we listen to the word of God for the fourth time, we're invited to sit with the word in silence, aware beyond its words, communing with the spirit who speaks through it, in the silence of our hearts to simply 
rest in the spirit. We will have two minutes of silence. Then he looked up at his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you, when, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. A full two minutes to simply rest, commune with God. Amen. And let's conclude by saying the Lord's Prayer together as one body gathered in the Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.